you turn again in your Bibles, this time to 2 Kings chapter 20. And if you're using a church Bible, it's page 392, or in the larger print Bibles, 604. 2 Kings chapter 20. And we'll read the whole of chapter 20. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, This is what the Lord says. The Lord, the God of your father David, says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. And I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, prepare a poultice of figs. They did so and applied it to the boil and he recovered. Hezekiah had asked Isaiah, what will be the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I will go up to the temple of the Lord on the third day from now? Isaiah answered, this is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward 10 steps or shall it go back 10 steps? It is a simple matter for the shadow to go forward ten steps, said Hezekiah. Rather, let it go back ten steps. Then the prophet Isaiah called on the Lord, and the Lord made the shadow go back the ten steps it had gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. At that time, Marduk-Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of Hezekiah's illness. Hezekiah received the envoys and showed them all that was in his storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, and the fine oil, his armory, and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, what did those men say? And where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied. They came from Babylon. The prophet asked, What did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There is nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace... And all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. 
Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood who will be born to you, will be taken away. And they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied. For he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? As for the other events of Hezekiah's reign, all his achievements and how he made the pool and the tunnel by which he brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? Hezekiah rested with his ancestors, and Manasseh, his son, succeeded him as king. This is God's word. And it asks God's people a sobering question. What do you care about most? Now, we all care about many things, small things and big things. We all care about things as minor as our appearance or the football, all the way to things as major as eternity, heaven and hell. And we care about many things in between. But the passage we've just read is asking us this. Of all the things you care about, what is the one thing? What is the central thing that owns you? What is the one concern that rules you? Now, if I were to hand out a sheet of paper and we had that in front of us with lots of different options... I'm sure all of us could find the right box to tick on that sheet. All of us can figure out the right answer. But what this passage is here to do is help each one of us discern what is actually true in our case. Not what should I care about most, but what do I care about most. The book of Hebrews says God's word is sharper than any double-edged sword. So sharp that it penetrates us. It uncovers our hearts. And this passage has the potential to uncover the true state of our hearts. It also has the potential to show us the way forward. The chapter is about Hezekiah. So what do we know about him? Well, we were introduced to him back in chapter 18, and he got a pretty unbeatable introduction back in chapter 18. We were told, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. I'm not sure how that could be topped as a summary of someone's life. We were told Hezekiah, as part of his life, did what no other king had done. He removed the high places in Judah. Those alternative worship sites where people ended up worshiping idols. Hezekiah took those away. No other king had dared to try that. Hezekiah rebelled against Assyria, the superpower of the day. A superpower that defied the living God and put itself in God's place. 
Hezekiah refused to serve an authority that put itself in the place of God. Now, that didn't mean all that was easy for Hezekiah. There were definitely moments when his trust in the Lord was wobbly. Especially when the Assyrians came and invaded Judah and marched right up to Jerusalem. But despite those wobbles, Hezekiah looked to God, and God inflicted a massive supernatural defeat on the Assyrians. We were told the angel of the Lord put to death 185,000 of the Assyrians in one night. They left, those of them who remained. That was recorded at the end of chapter 19. And that's where we ended last time we looked at 2 Kings. Now we come to chapter 20, which looks like it divides into two sections there. But actually, it all stands as one unit, giving us one challenge. So we're going to look at the chapter as a whole first, and then we'll summarize the challenge of this passage at the end altogether. In chapters 18 and 19, we saw Hezekiah facing a national crisis from the Assyrians. But here in chapter 20, we're told that around the same time, Hezekiah faced a massive personal crisis. Look again at verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says, Put your house in order because you're going to die. You will not recover. I don't think Isaiah would win any awards for his bedside manner there. But at least he's clear. Hezekiah is left in no doubt about his future. We're not told what the illness is, but we're told it's terminal. And look how Hezekiah reacts to that news in verse 2. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. He wants his life to be preserved. And there's nothing wrong with that. In the New Testament, a blind man called Bartimaeus called out to Jesus, Have mercy on me. And Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus said, I want to see. And in response to that, Jesus didn't say, how dare you? He didn't say, don't be so unspiritual. No, Jesus healed him. In the book of James in the New Testament, James says, is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. So not only is there nothing wrong with wanting to be delivered from illness, the Bible encourages us to seek God for deliverance. But maybe we wonder if Hezekiah is blowing his own trumpet a bit here. He says, remember, Lord, how I've walked before you faithfully. But that is true, isn't it? Isn't that what the writer of Kings told us in chapter 18 when he introduced Hezekiah? The writer of Psalm 66 says, I cried out to God. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. 
And here I think Hezekiah just wants the Lord to know he's not cherishing sin in his heart. So he reminds the Lord of his devotion. And the Lord heals him. Before Isaiah has even gone out of the palace grounds, he's sent back by the Lord with the promise of healing, followed by the promise of 15 more years for Hezekiah. And then thrown in for good measure, there's the promise God will defend Jerusalem from the king of Assyria. God has done it before, and God says, I'll do it again. You will not fall to the Assyrians. And all of that illustrates what Thomas Cranmer said about God. He is always more ready to hear than we are to pray. And he has a tendency to give us more than we either desire or deserve. Our God is attentive to our prayers, and he's generous in response to our prayers. We noticed earlier we're not told what Hezekiah's illness is. But verse 7 mentions a boil which is treated with a poultice of figs. So whatever this illness is, God uses a pretty ordinary remedy to heal Hezekiah. But God does throw in a miracle for good measure here. Verse 8 tells us, In his anxiety about what was going to happen, Hezekiah had asked for a sign that God really would heal him. And God gave him a sign. He miraculously did something with the light. He bent it, he refracted it, whatever. The God who created light can tinker around with it if he wants to. And in this case, he makes the shadow on the steps go back up the ten steps it had gone down. It's kind of a picture of what God is doing for Hezekiah. His life was sinking down towards death. But God intervened to raise him up again. So there we are. Hezekiah cares about his health. He doesn't like being sick. He prefers to be healthy and to prosper. And who doesn't? This is a normal human care. In fact, according to the Bible, it would be strange not to care about our health and prosperity. In his letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body. Now, Paul is not denying the realities of self-harm or anorexia. He's simply saying it is normal to care for your body and your health. Something is wrong if you don't. So as we leave the first half of Kings, 2 Kings chapter 20, we can say what Hezekiah wanted is not wrong. It would be strange if he didn't want to be healed. Then the second half of chapter 20 tells us something that happened after that. This is during the 15 extra years God gave to Hezekiah. Look at verse 12. At that time, Marduk Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of Hezekiah's illness. Hezekiah received the envoys and showed them all that was in his storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, and the fine oil, his armory, 
and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. If we pull up our little map to help us here, here is Judah, which I think we're quite familiar with. And we know that Assyria is now the superpower at this time. But now the Babylonians come into the picture. The Babylonians are not a superpower as yet, but at this time they're beginning to rise. They're gathering strength over there in the east. And their attention must have been very flattering for Hezekiah. These envoys came all this way to see me. To wish me well. The king of Babylon even sent me a personal letter with a signed photo as well. One writer says, It is heartwarming to see that you matter to important people. And Hezekiah doesn't just warm to these visitors from Babylon, he melts in front of them. He flings open his doors and he shows them all there is to see. But when they're gone, Isaiah comes along and says, You have been a fool, Hezekiah. The Babylonians aren't your friends, they were just casing Jerusalem. They'll be back for all the treasures you've shown them. In the middle of verse 16, Isaiah says, Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood who will be born to you, will be taken away. And they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Hezekiah has been a fool. He was so eager to be liked by the big boys that he has now made Jerusalem a target. And God says not only the treasures are going to go, but the young men too. The future leaders of the kingdom, they're going to become officials over in Babylon instead. What a terrible mistake for Hezekiah to make. All because he cared about trying to impress a bunch of greedy flatterers. And if we pause things here for a moment, what would we expect Hezekiah to do at this point? Knowing what we know about Hezekiah. Well, what did he do earlier in the chapter when he was sick? Didn't we see him going after God? When he was told he was going to die, he didn't meekly accept it. He wept bitterly and he prayed passionately to God. And even when God said, I'll heal you, Hezekiah pleaded for a sign that God really meant it. He didn't let God go with a word about healing. He begged God to show his commitment with a miracle. Hezekiah did all that over an issue of personal prosperity in the present, his health. And so now, when his foolish mistake has put the future of the whole kingdom in jeopardy, 
wouldn't we expect even greater concern and passion from Hezekiah? If he wept bitterly and pleaded with God before, wouldn't we expect him to do it here too? Asking God to show mercy to Judah, to save the kingdom from the Babylonian threat? Well, look how Hezekiah actually responds. In verse 19, he says to Hezekiah, The word of the Lord you have spoken is good. For he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? The word good is actually the first thing out of Hezekiah's mouth when he hears from Isaiah. It's an exclamation. In other words, what a relief. You have me worried for a minute, Isaiah. I thought the Babylonians were coming now. But it's all good. The collapse of the kingdom, my descendants exiled to become non-entities in a foreign land, that's fine, so long as I get to die peacefully in my bed. Now we know what Hezekiah cares about most. It's his own personal prosperity in the present. Physical health, friends in high places, if he can have those things, so what about the future generations? So what about the future of God's kingdom? So what about the promises of a Messiah who would come from David's line? Just so long as I have peace and security in my lifetime. Now we know Hezekiah wasn't always this way. His horizon used to be bigger than this. In his early years, he did care about the kingdom. When he took down those high places, that cannot have been a popular thing in Israel, in Judah. There must have been protests about that. Those things were dear to many people. There must have been bad press for the king when he did that. But he did it anyway. And rebelling against Assyria was a big, big risk. And even as he made that bold move, at the same time he was working hard behind the scenes to protect Jerusalem. When the end of chapter 20 sums up Hezekiah's achievements, it mentions the tunnel by which he brought water into the city. That was a massive feat of engineering for his time. The tunnel is 533 meters long, and at points it is 49 meters below the surface. They started from two different ends, and they managed to meet in the middle. That tunnel is still there today, 3,000 years later. You can go to Jerusalem, and you can walk through it, and I think maybe some of you have, if you've been in, in Israel. As a younger man, Hezekiah went to great lengths to protect and provide for Jerusalem, making sure it would have water even in the event of a siege. As a young man, he was not consumed with seeking an easy life for himself. He was seeking first the kingdom of God. 
In chapter 19, we heard him pray passionately for God to deliver Jerusalem when the Assyrians marched up to it. And to deliver it, if you remember his prayer, for the sake of God's own name and God's honor among the nations. That's what we've seen of Hezekiah in the past. But somewhere along the line, his horizon just shrunk. It shrunk until the only thing that could rouse this man to bitter tears and passionate prayer was his own health and prosperity in the present. Somewhere along the line, this man became so self-focused that not even the announcement of Judah's destruction could rouse him from it. Just so long as he had peace and security in his own lifetime. Now, we know when Hezekiah prayed for his own healing at the start of chapter 20, it wasn't just something he cared about. It was what he cared about most. And because his top priority was his personal prosperity in the present, Hezekiah ended up betraying God's kingdom and forsaking God's people. We said earlier, it is normal to care about our health. It's normal to care about a whole lot of other things too. Good food, travel, home, friendships, nature, music, career. It's especially normal for us to care about those things because we know they're gifts from our loving Father. They're gifts that are to be enjoyed with thanksgiving. God's people ought to be the most life-affirming, life-celebrating people on the whole planet. The Bible teaches us to celebrate good things. It teaches us to grieve over the loss of good things, particularly the loss of health. It tells us sickness and death are enemies. It's not the way it's supposed to be. But as God's people, we also know because of Jesus, there is life for us on the other side of death and sickness. There's the promise of a new heaven and earth for us, a restored creation where we'll not only enjoy God's good gifts again, we'll enjoy them in greater, fuller ways than we ever do here and now. And because we know that, we enjoy God's good gifts in the present. But we don't have to cling to them for dear life. We don't have to obsess over them. And get desperate and frantic at the thought of losing them. As God's people, we can look up from our own personal situation. We can look up enough to care about others and serve others. We can make personal sacrifices for the kingdom of God. Without getting bitter and resentful about it. 
because we know there are bigger things than personal prosperity in the present. There are eternal things to look forward to and to work for and to hold on to. So here is the challenge of our passage. What do you care about most? Personal prosperity in the present? Or the eternal prosperity of God's kingdom? And remember, the question is not, what should I care about most? It's not even, what did I care about most 5 or 10 or 20 years ago? The question is, what do I care about most now? As I live my life this year, there's a song that says to God, let me never outlive my love for you. And maybe we could add another line. Let the other things I care about never overtake my care for your kingdom. Let's ask ourselves, if God has been blessing us with personal prosperity in the present, are we treating those blessings in such a way, are we looking at them in such a way that they are turning us into people who hardly care about anything else? Has our horizon lately been shrinking? Maybe to the point where the eternal future is barely in our vision anymore. If that's the case, then we may not be far from where Hezekiah ended up. Betraying God's people and forsaking the kingdom. None of us stand still from year to year. Our hearts don't stand still. They're either stretching upwards and outwards in love for God and his kingdom and his people, or they're beginning to curve inwards on us. Until all that matters is our own personal kingdom, our own little bubble with us safe in the middle of it. I would guess, in fact, I'm sure, the young Hezekiah would be appalled to see what his older self turned into. How could it happen? How could the faithful young man turn into the older man who was a sucker for flattery, who cared for nothing but his own personal comfort and ease? Well, it all comes down to how careful we are with our hearts. Back in 1 Kings, we saw the downfall of another king who started so well, Solomon. And Solomon himself wrote, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. That's great, wise advice. It's advice Solomon didn't take himself. And apparently neither did Hezekiah. God blessed Hezekiah, but instead of looking up from the gifts 
to enjoy the giver, Hezekiah idolized the gifts. God gave him 15 more years, and Hezekiah decided he was going to make those years be all about Hezekiah. As far as he was concerned, the kingdom could crumble to dust just so long as it wasn't during his 15 years. Maybe you're not there yet. But are you on the way there? Am I? Let's pay attention to our hearts now so we don't end up there. And let's remember, we have a Father in heaven who's always more ready to hear than we are to pray. And he has a tendency to give more than we either desire or deserve when we come to him. So let's come to him and say, let me never outlive my love for you. Let the other things I care about never overtake my care for your kingdom and your people. The same God who bent the sunlight on those steps in Jerusalem, that same God is able to shine his light into our hearts. He's able to give us a new, brighter love for his glory and his kingdom, if we'll ask him. So before we sing, we're going to take a moment to be quiet. We're going to take the time to say what we need to say to our Father. Maybe we need to talk to him about reordering our priorities, if we're honest. Maybe... We need to talk to him about refocusing our hearts. So whatever we need to say to him and say honestly to him, let's take a time to do that quietly now where we're sitting.